All right, grab your Bibles and jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going in uh, again as we have been. Hope you've had a great week. Um, flying the Florida State flag today in honor of Bobby Bowden, if you know who that is. Uh, fantastic coach. I never knew him, obviously, personally, but played a big role in my life for a long time. And I'm going to look forward to that day when we get to meet and talk uh, on the other side. I'm pretty proud of the man that he was. So anyway, flying the flag today. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to get in the Word. Um, and we're talking about a cross-shaped life. That's what we've been working through. We've been using 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 as the theme, even though we're in 2 Corinthians. And that is, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we're going to continue to move on into this with the cross-shaped life. But today we're going to talk about the gospel of prosperity, not the prosperity gospel calling this the gospel of prosperity, although we will obviously bump around both, uh, you know, of those things. But God designed the gospel around prosperity. Maybe you didn't know that, but he designed the gospel around prosperity. However, not around money. Can, can that be? We have prosperity without there being, without money. Remember, you know, God's never needed a dime to execute his plan. Don't ever forget that. God's never needed a dime to execute his plan, ever. And how you understand prosperity in light of the gospel will determine who or what your heart actually belongs to. You understand what I'm saying there? It's not about what's in or out of our bank account or what we wish was in and out of our bank account or what we wish was in there, what we hope is in there. It's not about any of it. It's not about your bank account. It's about what's in your heart and what's coming out of that. All right? So let me read today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then we'll cover a few more. You know how we do that. So look at verse 6. I'm going to start there. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray. You are glorified in it because it's your word. It's not my word, it's your word. And I pray at no point in time is it ever uh, put into my mouth um, as my word. I'm just a man. I pray it comes in and out of my mouth as your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, speaking of that, we are unpacking his word today right now. This is just me pulling it out and uh, kind of wrestling through it in the sermon but tonight we'll come together as a church, and I, I hope you would come tonight. Um, you're welcome to do that. You can go online and look us up and see um, how to find us through social media, through the website, uh, through various ways. We're out there, and we'd love for you to hit us up. We'll tell you how to find us. We're in Tempe, Arizona. You're welcome to come hang out. We have a great time. So, uh, But right now this is unpacking things, so let's jump back in here. So October 10th. 2010, you may not know this, but that was apparently a miracle date and time. Hope you didn't miss it. Uh, according to Rod Parsley, and I'm going to name some names today, but they're out there. You can look them up on your own. I'm not saying anything they don't openly admit to. But Rod Parsley, if you go look at his website up on there, he talks about that date back, back when it came, being a once in a lifetime, 1010, I'm reading from them, 101010, miracle prayer service. Ten is God's season of completion. Nothing's missing. Nothing's lacking. He, it says, or site says, Rod will be praying for you. 
to have more joy, more miracles, and more favor than ever before when you submit your prayer requests and sow your seed of faith. In fact, he goes on to say, you should consider sowing your best seed of faith. For instance, you give a hundred dollars, he says, because that's ten times ten. Or a thousand, which it says ten times ten times ten. And goes on to kind of explain that if you give, uh, you're gonna receive in, in proportion to ten. So you better make sure you, you give a lot because you want you, you want to sow in a way that your increment of ten times returns bigger for you. Let me quote some other famous prosperity teachers here. God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destinies laid out for us. That would be Joel Osteen. Kenneth Copeland said, you get spiritually rich and you'll get financially rich. Joyce Myers, known for nine ways to hit the tithing lottery. Uh, Creflo Dollar, how to turn your $10 tithe into a $10,000 tax-free vacation. Some of this may be some sarcasm in here, but they're out there, all right? And then Benny Hinn, quote, if you will make that financial pledge, God will heal your heart tonight. A couple of quick responses to these things, not directly, but the other side of the fence here. John Piper said, if God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. He goes on to say, prosperity cannot be a proof of God's favor since it's what the devil promises to those who worship him. Heavy, true. John MacArthur stated probably one of the more heavy lines I've ever heard. He said, if you're living your best life now, you're going to hell. Let that sink in a minute. If you're living your best life now, then you're going to hell. Another pastor once said, remember God's will was for John to be exiled, Paul to be jailed, Jesus to be executed. Why do we assume God's will for us is to have a great job and a happy life and a large bank account? Fantastic question. Or this one. The Lord commonly gives riches to foolish people to whom he gives nothing else. Martin Luther said that. David Platt said, We're settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Man, I love that one. Jesus said it best, no doubt, Son of God. He said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We jump to the back half of that, we ignore the first half. In this world you will have tribulation. Uh, Much like other words he said, like, uh, the world will hate you because of me. Or, whoever does not give up all that he has, yes, even his own life, cannot be, cannot be, cannot be my disciple. So what about us? Let me move these before I fidget too much. What about us? When we think about giving, be honest now, is our first compulsion about ROI, return on investment. Is that our first thought? Is our desire to please God so that he will do this? Or so that we get this? taken care of or handled or so we feel this way or so we earn this fill in the blank i don't know is that where we go or is it simply to please god without demand or dream just just to please him just be honest now is our giving you know 
not an attempt to satisfy God, but just to fill God with joy because His righteousness is being multiplied through our generosity. Our desire to give or our lack of it, listen to me, it displays what's already in our heart. And how we understand our salvation, that gift of God's grace, the gospel, it should lead us to give in such a way that we can't give enough. I I, I want to give more. I can't, I can't possibly give enough in the hopes that someone else, everyone else, finds the same grace that we have. So we're going to outline this two quick ways, the path to prosperity and the purpose of prosperity. Real simple, the path to prosperity and the purpose of it. So verse 6, chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The point, Paul is referencing here, the point of them coming through with their promises of giving support. That's what he's been talking about. The point of Paul saying in verse 5 that it may be a willing gift and not an exaction. The point is because it matters to you. It matters to you. That's what he's saying to them, and that's what he would say to us. The reason, the point is that it matters to you. Get the visual he puts here, a farmer, right? If you were a farmer, how many seeds would you sow into the ground if you were expecting to have a harvest, a a, a big harvest, a plentiful harvest? Would you plant three seeds and expect that to produce a big, huge harvest? Of course not, because you know that some of those plants may not survive, may not grow. Some of them might say small, some, you know. The, the point is that you're, you're gonna plant rows of seeds and rows of seeds and rows of seeds and that's what he's talking about. His point is you're the sower and in turn you are also the reaper. Think about that. Think about that right here. It's not you sow and they reap. It's not about you giving and them getting here. What he's saying is about you giving and getting. You're sowing and reaping. That's what he's talking about. Don't automatically, though, translate that into money. Don't automatically translate it in. Yes, Paul's talking about a financial offering that he's collecting. Yes. But the context Paul is getting at here is about intent, not amount. It's about intent here, not amount. It's not about getting rich. It's in the context. It, well, honestly, because in this context, if you did get rich, you would then only give it away. You just sow your riches right back in. Remember, Paul had already said in chapter 8, verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. So even if you had a ton you and you gave them money, it would only be something reciprocal. That's what he's getting at. It's not about the dollar amounts here that you sow and reap. It's about the condition of your heart. To see others come into the kingdom and be provided for. And if you pour your heart into that, Paul said, then you will receive bountifully. And that bounty is those people and them being provided for. You know, I have the hardest time watching St. Jude Christian Hospital or Children's Hospital commercials. They kill me, man. I'm just being straight honest with you. I, because I just, I have a soft spot, man. I can't, I can't lie. I hate seeing children hurt. I just hate it. Even worse, I hate seeing, seeing them smile so big when I know that they're suffering. 
breaks my heart, you know. Or what about the children's hospital? You ever see the children's hospital that's at uh, University of Iowa? And they do this wave thing now where they can see down in the stadium and all the kids get up in the window and wave during the game. I mean, that breaks my heart. And I don't mean any of these things in a negative way towards them. It's wonderful what they do. I'm only saying me, it moves me to see that. So what my point here is, what would be a greater reaping? I sow a hundred dollars and I find a check in my mailbox for a thousand dollars. Or I sow a thousand dollars and I see one kid go home healthy and loving Jesus. Which one is bountiful? Verse seven, each one must give as he has decided, past tense, in his heart. Not reluctantly, that means like out of grief or sorrow as though something is being taken away from you forcefully. He says, we're under compulsion for or because God loves a cheerful giver. Well, why would God love a cheerful giver? Because he is one. Because he is one and you reflect him. That's the whole point. You reflect him. It's not about balancing your budget here or ending poverty or becoming wealthy. God's more concerned about your heart being aligned with his, being like him. So his kingdom is displayed accurately. That's the point. Notice there's no demands here. There's not even a 10% demand here. I'm only saying it's not there. doesn't say you must be cheerful. Look at that now. doesn't say you must be cheerful when you give, but that God loves when we are. He loves when our hearts are in that place. So sometimes, you know, we may give when we're afraid or nervous you know, what's going to happen if I give this? That's okay. That's okay. He's not saying that's wrong. But giving under compulsion, that's another thing. With your fist tied around something, having to be pried open reluctantly, that's, that's another story. That's different. God doesn't give a flip about that. One is the result of demand, and the other is the result of decision. Even if you're wrestling with it, you've made the decision, and you're going to honor your decision. That's a big difference between that and demand that's being ripping it out of your hand. The point is that we decide in our heart beforehand and then we honor that even if we find a struggle in our heart with it. Because you might find as you honor it consistently that your heart will begin to change when you do. For instance, the consistency of action does a few things. It gives a constant reminder that the money's not ours. It's not our money anyway. Constant reminder, it's not mine. Gives a constant reminder that all that we have comes from Him. It makes you stop and think about, okay, well, stop now. Where did it come from? Came from Him. Constant reminder. Constant reminder that others are in need. There's other people that have needs. I know we say we know that, but this is a constant reminder when you're letting go of your resources. It's a constant reminder that we need to be faithful to God's kingdom, to the church, to God's kingdom here on earth. We need to be faithful to that. Uh, it's a constant reminder. We need to rely on him for our needs, him and him alone. Every time I let go of something I'm not sure if I can afford to let go of, I am putting my full trust in him that when I do this, he's going, he's got me, right? It's a constant reminder, in my opinion, best of all, that he gave to us. 
the gospel. He gave to us his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is a constant reminder when we give that he gave, right? So one note, if you're expecting that fear, by the way, to be completely gone one day, like the, the, the nervousness about giving, if you're expecting someday that that's going to be gone, you, you, you totally misunderstand faith, just to be honest. If, 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 you, if you think you're going to ever be completely comfortable with giving to the point that you know it's in your budget and you don't even notice it anymore, it's just automatically gone. If you get to that stage, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying you might think through giving again because in some ways it should challenge you you know david who was king of israel said this in first chronicles 21 verse 24 he was buying a piece of land he said i'll buy them these plots of land for the full price i will not take for the lord what is yours because this man offered them to him for free since he was the king i won't take what is yours nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing so David paid 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. He, he said, I won't take what costs me nothing. It needs to cost me. Never forget, man, God doesn't need you or your money. He loves you. But listen to me. He doesn't need you or your money. Psalm 50, verse 10. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. We always treat that like that means he's going to give you a bunch of cows because he owns them all. No, no, no. Look what he says. Read the rest. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the, all the, uh, that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness is mine. In other words, don't, don't bring me cows. I don't need them. I have all of them. The cows that you have are mine. I own the world and everything in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell within. It's all his. He doesn't obviously need anything from you because whatever you have is his already. Giving is an opportunity for you, for us to participate with him in supplying and advancing his kingdom here. That's what it's about. The cheerfulness, he says. Cheerful is a, a word. It means hilarious, honestly, which is kind of weird. But I, just think about filled with laughter. And maybe this is not the best example, but it's the one that comes to mind. Kind of like Santa, you know. Like, think, imagine him with this laughter, you know, what does it, however the poem goes, like a bowl full of jelly or whatever. He's, he's laughing as he's giving presents. To children, like it's that kind of idea, like the desire to give is just producing cheerfulness. That's that's like a laughter. Um, maybe you say, "Yeah, I'd love to do that, but I really can't afford to because blank." You're already missing it. You're already missing it. It's not about what you can afford. It's about your heart. It's about finding joy in giving, period. So maybe maybe you reach in your pocket and you got 50 cents. And you get all excited and you say, oh man, dude, I want in on this, dude. Here, man, here, let me drop these two coins on you right here, man. Let me drop these two coins. You're not even thinking about the fact that it's only 50 cents. Only 50 cents. You're not considering whether it's enough or not enough. You're just full of joy at the chance to be part of what God's doing on some level. Man, let me, man, I, dude, I got some chains on me. You know, it's about a, an excitement to be part of it. It's not about, man, I just can't, we just don't have the money. We just don't have, yeah. So the path to prosperity, quickly, the purpose of 
prosperity right here. Verse 8, and God is able or powerful to make all grace abound to you so that, so that, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice that having the power is not some kind of guarantee here. It doesn't say if you sow X, then you gain Y. It doesn't say that. It's just saying he has the power to give you all, and he'll do that so that you are all sufficient at all times. But notice what the all is. Notice what the all is here. It's not material wealth here. All grace, he says. All grace abounding to you. All sufficiency. That word sufficiency means like enough. He's saying all of what is enough. Or we might call that contentment. Grace and contentment. That's what he's talking about supplying you with. All grace, all contentment. That you'll have that at all times. At all times. Why? So that you may abound in every good work. Look what he said there. Every good work. And it's God who determines what's a good work. It's not about what we think. It's about what he, where he invests his resources through us. Not the other way around. Not where we tell him he should be putting his resources. Good works is where he invests his resources through you. Again, like back in chapter 8, Paul turns to it is written. Look at verse 9. As it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's quoting Psalm 112. And it's just in a description of a righteous person who, who is blessed here. Blessed why? What makes him blessed? Uh, because his focus is not on getting. It's not on ROI. It's on giving, on distributing freely. No loan here, no strings, no interest. Um, it is strictly on giving. And his righteousness endures forever because it reflects God's who also endures forever. Notice the actions are past, past and present. He has distributed, he has given, and his righteousness endures. It's past actions displaying present realities. That is a lifestyle. It's a picture of this person's lifestyle. Verse 10, chapter 9, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Man, that's the, that's the verse for the prosperity gospel. Completely out of context. But that's the one they jump into. Look at the words. He supplies. He will multiply your seed. Gives the increase. It's all those words they love to use. But what is the seed that he's supplying, multiplying, and increasing? What is the harvest? What is it? Is it your bank? I hope you already see the answer to this. I hope it's already becoming clear. But notice... That he alone supplies and multiplies these things. He alone does it. It's not yours. It never has been. It's not yours. It never has been. If you're looking for payback or respect or glory or even a thank you, if that's what you're looking for, then your heart's already in the wrong freaking place and it's staying in the wrong place because he gets all of that. It's his. He gets all of that. Whatever you have, 
was his, is his now, and will always be his. But it matters to you how you give. It matters to you how you handle those things. Because your righteousness is linked to it. Your righteousness is linked to it. Are you truly the righteous person you claim to be? How you give will answer that question. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be, to be, to be generous in every way. See the reason here? Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's an equation right here. It's an equation. You have the Christian plus generosity. The Christian who is enriched from God, from God, enriched, it happens to them, enriched from God in every way. It's money, grace, love, family, whatever, in every way. Plus generosity is the reason God would enrich you. So if you've been enriched, it's because of that, because of the hope for generosity, that your heart desires to give it away. A Christian plus generosity equals people praising and glorifying God, people offering thanksgiving to God. great example is in 1 Chronicles 29 when they build the temple. Or when they're preparing to, Solomon is charged with it, but David is finishing out his days and he uh, goes about the process of getting everything ready and, and, and ordering everything in place so that all Solomon has to do is build the temple. But uh, he, the people all take up offerings to make this happen. Look at verse 9 of First Chronicles 29. Then the people rejoiced because they'd given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. Look at the language there. They were rejoicing because they'd given willingly. They looked at what all that they had compiled from giving from a willing heart, and they celebrated. Verse 12, a little bit later, David is praying about this moment of, of giving and thanking God. And look in verse 12. He says to God, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hands are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Verse 13. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own uh, have we given you. So he's saying it all came from you anyway. Why should we even celebrate our generosity when it's all yours anyway? What amazing heart. That's what happens right there. Go back to Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, this last little chunk here. It says, for the ministry of this service, so it's a ministry that he's doing, this giving, he's calling it a ministry, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, as you're doing this to those who are believers, it's overflowing to those who are not. People are watching. And people are thanking God for what you're doing, even people that may not know Him. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Look how their generosity from grace fuels prayers for them. You see that? It's not that they're buying prayers. 
it's being generated. Like, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you were just really bad off? You're just really in a place of struggle and you desperately need help. And there comes someone who does in a big, major way. Uh, and, and they're there for you in exactly that moment with exactly what you need and so much more. Don't you find yourself thanking God for that? Uh, thanking God for getting you through that, but also thanking God for them, thanking God for them being there and what they did, and maybe praying that God would bless them because of the way that they loved you and blessed you and provided for you, and guess what? He will, so that they can be generous again. It's kind of like rain pouring down and then evaporating back up into the clouds, and the clouds become huge and swell up and and get filled again with moisture so that they can rain back down again. Maybe in the same place, maybe in a different place. It's a cycle. And when all parts are functioning, then the land is like a paradise, like a garden. And there's no drought anywhere to be found. That's the idea. Notice Paul connects their giving to their confession of the gospel. It's a big deal. People are watching to see if your confession of the gospel, if your confession and your actions match. Do they match? And based on that, they're either going to glorify God or reject him as a liar. Just saying. If you claim the gospel and your heart doesn't desire to give generously, then your picture of the gospel's flawed. It's flawed. And others will not accurately see the gospel, assuming that you really know it at all. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me. This is the reason why the prosperity preachers and that whole thing is so dangerous. This is the reason why it's so dangerous. It's not just that they're greedy. They're painting a gospel that is not the gospel of Christ. And Paul had strong words about that. Galatians 1 verse 8, Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to, let him be accursed. Hear that. Let him be accursed. Not just, hey, ignore it. That's powerful language coming out of Paul. Then he says in verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Back to back. It's a big deal, guys. It is a big deal. The true gospel, the good news, the gospel of prosperity is... That prosperity is a gift for others. It is not for you. And that's great news, both for you and for the others. The problem is, if it doesn't sound like good news to you, that's because you failed to remember that you were once an other. Separated from God, eternally without Christ and without hope. But because of his gift, you are now family. The gospel of prosperity begins and ends there with a gift, not with get. And notice Paul's final words here. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I think Paul's thinking less about the money here and more about the gospel and grace, which he's been talking about the whole time. Inexpressible means indescribable. He doesn't have the words. He doesn't even have the words For the grace here, the inexpressible gift of God. What is the inexpressible gift of God? It's Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. That 
is the gospel. That is the gospel. Do you feel that way when you think of grace, when you think of the gospel? Like, I just, I really don't have the words. Maybe you need to go back and look at the cross again for a little while. So let me close with this. How practically do we respond to this? Well, um, I would say simply, have the right view of prosperity. Have the right view of prosperity. The Bible defines it in a lot of ways. Yes, money is one of those ways. Money, uh, your wife or your husband, your spouse, uh, your family, children, your land or your home, whatever you want to call it, your friends, that you know God. These are all things that the Bible calls being prosperous, being a child of God, having an inheritance, you know, having received grace, uh, possessing the gospel. These are, these are all things that define biblically prosperity, but we need to see all of those things as coming from God, belonging to God, and being offered to God at all times. Why? So that they can be given for his kingdom. Would you give your money for his kingdom? Would you give your family for his kingdom? That's the picture. Look, maybe you need to start today by receiving instead of giving. Maybe today that's, you know, this is all heavy. Maybe today you need to start by receiving instead of giving. Maybe today what you need to do is receive Christ. You need a new heart. Maybe your heart is heavy, man. Maybe your heart is weighing like a brick in your chest. Maybe your heart is broken in a million pieces. Maybe your heart feels black and empty, hopeless. I don't know. But I know that today you can have a clean heart. Today you can have a heart that's light as air. A heart that's filled with joy. A heart that is free of the weight of darkness. A heart that is forgiven. A heart that is without the burden of sin. And that comes from calling out to Christ. Can you do that today? Repent and put your faith in Him. Confess today to Him. Just say it to Him in your own words, however you want. Jesus, I know I'm a failure. I know I'm a sinner. I I hate this weight in my heart. Take it. Take it. Give me a new heart. Lord, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want the gift of eternal life. Say that to him today and and confess it from your heart. And then know for a fact that you belong to him. And hit us up. We want to help you find discipleship. We want to help you become someone who knows well what the word of God says. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is awesome. Thank you for the privilege of teaching it today, walking through it. And uh, Lord, I look forward to tonight and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.